Good morning, my name is Simon Walker, I'm pastoral intern here, and uh, we are in a series called The Summer of Psalms. First week, uh, Patrick preached on the question, who do you trust? Trusting God. Last week, Len served us well by asking the question, what are we looking at in our worship? And today we're going to be spending time studying and understanding this rich, vibrant, life-giving, God-breathed text. We're studying the Word of God. That's our topic for today. If you want to put a title at the top of your notes, you can title it The Word of God. Uh, We're going to be reading from Psalm 19, and then I'm going to pray for us. So, you want to open up to Psalm 19, and then we will pray. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to pause and give thanks that you have given us your word that you have revealed yourself to us in it. And so, Lord, I pray today as we seek to understand this text, Lord, give us wisdom and discernment, understanding. Give me clarity of speech. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, just a bit of pub trivia. Um, I wonder if anyone could give me the answer to this question. What happened on January 4th 2020, just after 3 p.m. in Sydney. 
any ideas. Surprising. No one's game enough to guess, maybe. Penrith posted its hottest ever temperature on record, with the mercury hitting 48.9 degrees Celsius. If you're in Sydney that day, you would know it was very hot. And uh, I spent most of the day at my parents' place. They've got a swimming pool. Praise God for swimming pools. Um, Particularly on those sorts of days. Because when we get in the pool on a hot day, it refreshes and revives us, rejuvenates us. And I want to suggest that today's text, that in today's text, we will see that just like a pool on a hot day rejuvenates, restores, revives us, the Word of God refreshes, rejuvenates, and revives the soul. So by by way of context, to help us sort of understand what we're looking at with Psalm 19, Psalm 19 is a beautifully crafted poem penned by King David, who we know from 1 and 2 Samuel was an accomplished songwriter, a skillful musician. In fact, he's actually referred to as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Not a bad title. So, as we study this psalm, this poem this morning, it is clear that David has a way with words, a real gift in capturing and depicting the glory of God. But as we engage with this psalm, we will see that there is much more to be said about this poem than its literary genius. Because although it's written by David, it is God-breathed. Rich in truth and wisdom, helpful for teaching, correcting and guiding, and portraying the incredible God that we worship. And so to give some clarity around structure, the psalm, if you look at it, can kind of be broken down into three parts. Part one, revelation of God in nature, verses one through six. Part two, revelation of God in scripture, verses seven through 11. And then part three, the psalmist's response of repentance in light of these truths. And so today, if there's going to be one big idea, one takeaway message from uh, this text, I believe it's actually captured in verse seven. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. We live in a world hungry to steal your attention. The world seeks to draw us away and sell us the lie that we need this holiday to be happy. That we need this new car to be successful. That our identity and value and the sum total is the sum total of all that we do. That money and comfort and pleasures will satisfy our souls. And yet in contrast to this notion, I believe today's text is a reminder that the word of God revives the soul. So to help us to give a bit of clarity and structure to today's sermon, we're going to go through three points. Point one, what is the word of God? Point two, why do we need the word of God? And point three, how do we receive the word of God? Point one, The word of God. The word of God is both silent and spoken and reveals who God is. I'll say that again. The word of God is both silent and spoken and reveals who God is. 
when I mention the word, uh, when I mention the phrase "the word of God," I wonder actually what comes to mind for you. Perhaps if you've not been to church or just sort of new to Christian faith, uh, perhaps you're maybe thinking of God's audible voice that sort of bellows from heaven. Perhaps your mind goes to the word of God as a person. Jesus Christ, John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Maybe for most of us who've been in church a long time, our mind goes to the word of God recorded in scripture, this text. And these are all true. The word of God is a phrase used in the Bible and by Christians to refer to several different things, including the Son of God, the decrees of God, God's word of personal address, God's word spoken through human lips, and God's word in written form. In today's text, in Psalm 19, although the phrase the word of God is not specifically stated, the entire psalm is focused on capturing and presenting what theologians call general and special revelation of God. General revelation of God through creation and special revelation of God revealed through scripture. D.J. Mahaney helpfully differentiates these two, calling them the silent word of creation and the spoken word of scripture. So as I said, the word of God is both silent through creation and spoken through scripture, and it reveals to us who God is. Just consider for a moment the iPhone. Although it's sort of beautiful in its sleek, functional design. It only tells us so much about what it does. I mean, you could look at it. If you give it to someone who knew, not, didn't know what it was, you give it to them, they could look at it and kind of maybe work out that like, if you touch the screen, it does things. We get a glimpse of the complexity of this technology and how to use it because this is general revelation of the iPhone. It tells us something about its purpose and function, but it doesn't tell us all. The iPhone's special revelation is only experienced when we enter into the phone and we start to understand the deep complexities of this technology, what it can do. So we look on and see its function, perhaps, but until we dive in, we can't fully uh, grasp the complexity of the technology. And so similarly, the word of God is both general and special, Silent and spoken, revealing to us who God is. And so what do we actually learn from the silent word? Let's look at the psalm. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. As we look at the sky above, as we take in the magnificence of the natural world around us, God's glory and majesty and power and creativity and generosity and imagination are clearly displayed. The psalmist understands this truth and describes in verse 2 and 3 how God's handiwork provides for us an awareness of God, a knowledge of God. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Each day and night, as as we look at each day and night, It reveals a tangible knowledge of our creator, his wisdom and power, and as the psalmist says, his glory. Verse 3 we read, There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. 
the voice of day and night. The voice of God's creation speaks to us humanity. And as such, there is no language or culture, nor speech or word, tribe or tongue, that has not heard the silent word of God, the silent words of creation. And we know that in Romans 1.20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. God's glory, his eternal power, his divine nature have been revealed and communicated to us through creation so that we are without excuse. The stars and the sun lay witness to the creator God and to his glory for if they are so glorious, if we look on at the stars and we go, wow, isn't it incredible? You go out into the countryside and you see the stars in the sky. We look on and we go, those are incredible. Isn't the creator who made them? even more. And so a question for us to consider this morning as we see this come alive in the text, how often do we actually pause to notice this? How often in the hurry of life do you stop and reflect of the glory of God displayed in creation? To the worries of life, the unending stream of emails, the texts and notifications, the to-do list, do they rob you of the joy? that is found in praising God, celebrating his glory shown in his handiwork. God's silent word, his creation, proclaim his glory each and every day. So when we next find ourselves captivated by nature, the beauty of a view, the magnificence of a mountain, the energy of a crashing wave, let us respond like that of David. Praise and worship For the heavens declare his glory. So we're given the general revelation through creation, and yet the psalmist does not stop there. In verses 7 through 11, the psalm takes an abrupt turn from the glory of God revealed in creation to the spoken word, the special revelation of God revealed in Scripture. So what do we learn from the spoken word? Well, just like the outward appearance of the iPhone, it can only tell us so much. Creation can only tell us so much. It's not until we delve into the phone that we gain an even greater sense of the depth and breadth of that unique technology. God's silent word in creation is good, but God's saving word, his spoken word, revealed in scripture, is greater. Because we cannot know God's mercy. We cannot know his justice, his love, his wrath, his holiness, his compassion, his grace. From simply looking on it all at creation. As beautiful as it is, it will not tell us that. And God has revealed that that to us through his word. The psalmist understands this truth, shifting from the use of the word God in his description of creation to seven times using the word Lord, which has personal connotations, personal connection in his description of the spoken word of Scripture. I want you to cast your minds back to our study of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. The name Lord, or in Hebrew Yahweh, is the personal name God reveals 
to Moses in the burning bush. God says to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. In scripture, in the word of God, we encounter the personal God, the relational God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Which brings us to another question for us to consider today. Do we know God? Do we read the Bible as a divine revelation of a personal God, a loving God, whom we can call Lord and Father? The word of God is both silent and spoken, and it reveals to us this personal, loving, saving God that we worship. Which brings us to point two, verses seven through 11. The question we're asking is, why do we need the word of God? We need the word of God because it reveals to us that our souls need reviving. By way of definition, the soul can be defined as the immaterial part of man, the integration of your will, your mind, your body, your intentions, your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. It's who you are, your whole person. And it's actually in Scripture that we learn that our souls are broken, in need of reviving. Verse 7 of the text, we read, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The word of God is perfect. Inerrant, true, unchanging, sufficient for salvation, for it revives the soul to the glorious and life-giving truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sadly, we cannot stand with a clear conscience in awe of God's creation because Scripture teaches us in Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We can't stand in awe of God's glory because we have fallen short of that glory. Our knowledge of sin, our brokenness before God, our knowledge of God's mercy and grace revealed in the sending of his son to the cross that we might have life in him. We find this in the spoken word of God. Praise God that he would reveal that to us and give us the gift of scripture. The silent word is insufficient for salvation, but the spoken word, the Bible, is sufficient for salvation in the sense that it is the only once for all inspired and therefore inerrant words of God that we need in order to know the way of salvation. We need the word of God because it reveals to us that our souls need reviving. Not just today, tomorrow, but for a lifetime. Because we know from Psalm 119 that the word of God is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Verses 7 through 9 of the text, Psalm 19, read it with me. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
the word of God makes the wise, makes the simple wise. It brings joy to our hearts. It enlightens our eyes. It endures forever. It is true and righteous altogether. It revives the soul and is a light to our path. And so in light of this truth, we must be careful not to stray too far from it. Just like swimming pool on a scorching hot day, it doesn't take long once you leave the pool before you start to feel the heat, the effects of the heat again, and you want to get back in the pool. The word of God revives the soul. Like a dip in the pool refreshes on a hot summer's day. As we engage in this text, it, it revives our soul. And so a question for us again to consider is, do we actually trust that? Do we trust that the word of God will revive our souls? Not just for salvation, not just to show us the good news of Jesus Christ, but in the day-to-day, when the going gets tough, do we trust that if we turn to the word, it will revive our soul? After a stressful day at work, do you trust that the word of God will revive your soul? Or are you tempted to turn to maybe online shopping, computer games? When suffering come your way, do you trust that the word of God will revive your soul? Or do you turn to fantasies of what your life could or should have been? When exhausted and fatigued from a long day of caring for your children, do you trust that the word of God revives your soul? Or you tend to turn to blogs or Netflix, maybe your renovation dreams. When you're stressed about assessments and exams, do you trust that the Lord, oh sorry, the word of God revives the soul? Or do you turn to social media, YouTube, When worry and fear and anxiety capture your every thought, do you trust that the word of God revives your soul? Do you turn to comfort food, alcohol, whatever it is, to lift your spirits? It could be any number of these or none of these things, but the truth of the matter is, when we repeatedly seek to tend to our souls with the things that ultimately do not satisfy It's any wonder that our souls can at times feel downtrodden, that our eyes are not enlightened, that our hearts can lack joy. So rich, so helpful, so reviving is the word of God that in verse 10, the psalmist describes it in in a beautiful way, a poetic way. Verse 10, more to be desired than any gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. When we taste the word, it is good. Food for the soul, nourishing and rich, a light to our path, because in it, and this is the point, it's the means to the end, we encounter the person and the finished work of our risen Saviour, Jesus Christ. As the psalmist puts it, the great reward, a personal relationship with our Creator God. Which brings us to the final point 
Point three, how do we receive the word of God? We receive the word of God in humble repentance and dependence on the one who gave it. We receive the word of God in humble repentance and dependence on the one who gave it. I said at the start that the world is hungry to steal our attention to distract us, to draw us away, and to sell us the lie that experiences and wealth, comfort and pleasures, will satisfy our soul's deepest cravings. And yet this text stands as a reminder that the word of God revives the soul because it reveals the one who gave it. 12 through 14 of Psalm 19, the psalmist responds in recognition of his need for a saviour. Verse 12, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The psalmist recognizes his dependence on God And he responds in repentance. I can't discern my errors. I need your help, Lord, that my sins do not take control of me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I depend on you. Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. What a beautiful response as the psalmist portrays general revelation shown in scripture and then specific revelation, uh, sorry, general revelation shown in creation and then specific um, revelation shown in scripture. What a beautiful response, a a response of humility and repentance and dependence. The word of God is to be received like that of medicine for our souls. Like poor, poor cream, the most incredible of inventions like poor, poor cream to cracked, dry lips, soothing. The word of God is like a balm to our wayward souls. We are to receive it like the psalmist does, in humble repentance and dependence on the Lord who gave it. And so by way of application, I actually want to sort of speak to three types of people. As you study this text, as we, as we see it come alive, as we, we capture the, the truth that the law of the Lord is perfect, that it revives the soul. Firstly, to those who have experienced that, praise God that as you have engaged with his word, you have experienced a revived soul. Praise God for that. Keep engaging with it. Continue to delight in it daily. May it continue to be a balm, a medicine for you. May it sustain you, equip you, correct you, enable you to know the one who gave it. Our rock and our redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. The second group that I wanted to sort of speak to was those that perhaps know this. They know it to be true, but they actually struggle to apply it daily. 
David Lynn in, uh, in our prayer session this morning in the kitchen helpfully gave the analogy of sometimes we can treat this word like long life milk. Put it on the shelf and when we need it, we'll go and grab it. I just thought that was so helpful, a helpful image of sometimes how we can treat this. And I want to encourage those that perhaps maybe struggle to to apply this daily. I want to encourage you that this has actually been something that I've struggled with. I know what it feels like. By by God's grace, I have seen growth in recent years. A few years ago, in the midst of the chaos of raising kids and busy work and life and whatever else it is, I just found myself, I wasn't, I wasn't seeking scripture. I wasn't abiding uh, in scripture. And so I started to feel the effects. It's sort of like the swimming pool. You step out of the swimming pool and it doesn't take long before you start to feel the heat. You want to get back in. And by God's grace, I was able to start small. Michelle, my wife, she actually bought me a, a book on the Proverbs. There's a proverb, like a one, you know, one tiny little proverb, start very small. And then a little sort of reflection on it. And I put it in my car and I would drive to work and I would sit in my car and I'd pull it out and I'd read that one page. I'd put it back in and then I'd go to work. I'd leave the chaos of home, I'd pause for a moment, seek his word, and then I'd go to work. And by, by God's grace, as I started to build that practice into my daily habits, my daily routine, the word began to stoke my soul. I praise God for that. In time, God's grace, I've strengthened this practice and as God has continued to meet me as I've sought to engage with his scripture. And so I want to encourage you, if you are someone that struggles with that, start it small. Remind yourself that the word of God is reviving like a balm, like poor, poor cream. And then the final group that I wanted to speak to, those that don't actually know this to be true, but you want it to be true. So the word of God seems a little bit abstract to you. You don't know it to be the word of God. It just is a big, chunky book that can be quite confusing. Perhaps that's you. And yet you're starting to understand that the things of this life only offer temporary satisfaction, that your soul actually does need reviving. But you're sort of faced with the question, where do I start? And I encourage you that as a church, we would love to support you in that. We want to encourage you, we want to help you with that. If you came with someone, they would love to help you with that. Let me or your friend, one of the pastors, know we want to support you in understanding this rich, God-breathed text so that you will taste and see that the Lord is good. To close, I, um, I happened to be reading Psalm 16 yesterday and no surprises, the Lord spoke to me very clearly through his word. And I thought I'd share it with you because I think it captures really the heart of this message. Verse 11 of Psalm 16, we read, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. 
and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The word of God makes known our path, path of life. In engaging with it, we experience the person of Jesus, whom we get to call Lord, Saviour. And in him there is fullness of joy, not half joy, like many of the things that we can often pursue in life. Fullness of joy, long-lasting, eternal joy. What a gift it is that God will reveal himself to us in creation and then personally engage with us through his word. Why don't we give thanks and pray now. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for the gift of your word, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us in it. That it restores, that it revives the soul, Lord, like medicine for our soul, Lord. You have given us your word. Your glory is on display in heaven. Oh, sorry, in the heavens. And yet we experience a personal relationship with you through your scriptures. We want to thank you for that, Lord. May we seek to apply this daily, Lord. May it be a light to our paths. Because we long to know you, Lord. We long to taste of the sweet honey, the drippings of honeycomb that is your word, Lord. Because in it, we experience you. And so we want to praise you and thank you for that precious gift. In Jesus' name, amen.